So worship begins when we realize that God is the creator of all. Worship begins when we realize that God is the creator of all. Have a look for a moment at this picture that's going to appear on the screen. Uh, this photograph is called Earthrise, and it was taken on the Apollo 8 mission, uh, the first uh, mission where a uh, spacecraft orbited uh, the moon. And William Anders took this picture. Um, it was the first picture to capture the Earth um, from the moon. It's an incredible picture. It sort of blows your mind a little bit. I wonder what you think of when you see this picture. Uh, a few years ago, I was in America around the area of sort of Death Valley. Uh, and if you've perhaps been to somewhere like America, in the deserts, or in some of the big expansive wastelands, or perhaps Africa, or Australasia, or even Scotland, and you've been somewhere where you get a huge panorama uh, of a view, it can blow your mind as you wonder at the immensity of God's creation. At other times, I've been on the tops of mountains, uh, and I'm sure you've been on tops of mountains as well, and there's been this expansive blue sky above, and then just a horizon covered in, in many, many um, snow-topped mountains in front of me, and it just takes your breath away, doesn't it? Some of you might have had those moments, uh, perhaps out in the countryside, uh, where on a clear night you've walked out into, the, uh, into your garden or you're on a walk somewhere and you look up and you just see an expanse of stars in the night sky and you're just blown away by the beauty of those stars. Uh, where I used to live before I came to Edinburgh, our house was in the middle of two fields. Uh, and so if I was uh, coming home at night, I would just walk across the field. And on a clear night, I would look up and it was incredible the number of stars that I could see. And again, it just those moments just blow your mind, don't they? When you look up and see the constellations of stars on a clear night. Those on top of the world, sort of visually mind-blowing moments where we're confronted by the majesty uh, of God's creation can really take our breath away and remind us again of the awesome wonder of our creator God. And we just simply stand there in those moments, don't we? And we just go, wow, and we worship God. And in those moments, perhaps the words of Psalm 8 come to mind in, that, in a song of praise. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. When confronted by the beauty of creation in all its vastness, the work of God in all its intricacy, we can join with the psalmist, can't we, in reflecting these words from Psalm 8, verse 4. When I consider your heavens, the works of your finger, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you're mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? The psalmist eloquently captures here the question which has arisen for so many people over the centuries as they're confronted by the awesome, awesomeness of the creator God on the one hand, and yet on the other, their experience that this same God is interested in and indeed cares for them. It's almost like the psalmist is saying, God, when you are the creator of all this immense beauty, why then do you think of, on humankind? Why then do you care for us? 
Now, I'm not an expert in the universe and astrology. I'm sort of hoping there aren't any experts in the building at the moment. Uh, I'm sure some of you are far more knowledgeable uh, than I am. But the Christian speaker, uh, Louis Giglio, in his indescribable uh, tour a few years ago, captures some of what I think uh, is confronting the writer of Psalm 8 when he talks about the stars. Giglio talks about how if the earth is the size of a golf ball, like this, I'm not a golfer, this is my husband's golf ball. Uh, if the earth was the size of a golf ball, then relatively speaking, the sun, which you can see on the screen there, uh, would be 15 feet in diameter uh, and could contain 960,000 of these golf balls. The sun, therefore, is rather large. And then he goes on to talk about another uh, star that has been found out there in the universe. I have no idea how to pronounce it, but it sounds a bit like Betelgeist or Betelgeuse or something like that. Um, and if the Earth is the size of this golf ball, then relatively speaking, this star called Betelgeist would be the size of uh, two Empire State Buildings pot on top of each other. That is one huge star somewhere out there in the universe. And then he goes on to talk about an even bigger star. If the Earth was the size of this golf ball, then there is a star out there called Masifi, which I think sounds like something from The Lion King. Um, and that, the star Masifi would be the size of two Golden Gate bridges in San Francisco, end to end, if the Earth was the size of a golf ball. And then he goes on to talk about an even bigger star that some scientists somewhere have discovered in the universe many, many light years, years away. And the next star is called Canis Majoris, uh, which is the biggest star to be found so far. And if the Earth was the size of this golf ball, which of course it isn't, then the star Canis Majoris would be the size of Everest. And if you're like me and not sure what the size of Everest is, at its highest point, it's six miles above sea level. That is one huge, mind-blowing star, isn't it? Canis Majoris, somewhere out, out there in the universe, is absolutely immense. And so Louis Giglio's explanation started me thinking, if I am one of 725, as of Thursday, billion people uh, who exist, on this planet, which is relatively speaking the size of a golf ball, this planet, which is part of such a massive, incredible universe, it made me realize how small and maybe insignificant I am. But then I thought again, because I believe that even though I am one in 7.25 billion people on this golf ball, the psalmist says this, God is mindful of me. God cares for me. So what the psalmist is reflecting on is how you and I are hugely significant to God, even in the immensity of God's creation. He knows you and I. He created us in his image. I am the reflection of the majesty of God, and he loves me. Even in this enormous universe, even as one of 7.25 billion people in the world, he knows me and he loves me, little me in this huge universe. And maybe some of us today just need to hear that, to grasp the fact this morning that you are known and loved by the creator of this incredible universe. 
that you are important enough to him, for him to send his son Jesus to break into creation, to redeem you, to save you, to forgive you, to give you new life. I think that St. Augustine was trying to get his head around this when he said this, Men go abroad to wonder at the height of the mountains, the huge waves of the sea and the long course of the rivers, the vast compass of the ocean, the circular motion of the stars, but they pass by themselves and they don't even notice. We don't notice God's interest in and love for each one of us. Maybe that's you today. Or maybe for some of us, the opposite happens. Uh, Professor Glyn Harrison, uh, who is the retired professor of clinical psychology at Bristol University, said this recently. We all need to be part of the big story, otherwise we are the story. We all need to be part of the big story, otherwise we are the story. Following the 2008 Beijing Olympics uh, and the achievement of winning three uh, medals there, Bradley Wiggins experienced a really debilitating uh, bout of depression uh, for about eight months following the Olympics. His whole life up to that point, his training, his purpose, his focus, have been leading up to those moments at the Olympics. His focus on the Olympics have been the center of his story. And he got to the point after the Olympics where he just felt like he was facing this empty chasm uh, and, and was just asking, what now? What is it all about? He'd become the center of the story, and that's all there was. In our own egocentricity, in our belief that we are the masters of our universe, we all get so wrapped up in the moment, don't we? What's happening in us, in our immediate vicinity, or, or, or the moment of time we exist in, that sometimes, as a consequence of this, our worship can actually become all about us. We forget the immensity and majesty of God in our worship. And so creation can be a wake-up call into our individualism and our self-centeredness, a reminder to us that God is bigger than us, that we need to lift our eyes up, to wonder at creation, the majesty and the awesome power of God. And it can put our own sense of self-importance and consequently our worship back in its rightful place. God is God. He is the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer. And I am the precious beneficiary of his grace. God is God. He is the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer of the universe. And I am the precious beneficiary of his grace. So worship begins when we realize that God is the creator, not us. And that's why in our worship, we need to be worshiping the both and of the person of God. The fact that he is the awesome creator and yet loves you and I intimately. We need to be worshiping the whole person of the Trinitarian God, the powerful creator God, the one who is the giver of life, the one who is majestic over the universe as well as the intimate, loving, merciful God who broke into creation in the person of Jesus to save you and I and to bring the whole of creation back into relationship with him. And then the Holy Spirit, who is at work now in the world and in people's lives, uh, and is working to bring us back into that relationship of grace with him and with each other and the whole of creation as well. We need to be worshipping worshiping the whole person of our Trinitarian God. So the psalmist says, when I look at the heaven, the works of your hands, 
the moon and the stars that you put in place? What is man that you pay attention to him? On a clear night, David, the psalmist, out, out in his field looking after his sheep, could probably have seen about two to 3,000 stars. With binoculars, evidently you can see more like 100,000 stars. David had no idea of Betelgeus or Musafi or Canis Majoris, but he is still staggered and completely bowled over by the impressive vastness of the world. And that even though he is apparently insignificant within that whole universe, God still knows him and loves him and pays attention to him. I recently heard a story. I'm not sure whether it's true or not. Maybe somebody could verify it for me, but I think it's a great story uh, about Mozart, who was in Vienna, was accosted on the streets of Vienna by a beggar asking for some money. Uh, the composer had no money on him at that time, but he said to the beggar, come with me, we'll go, uh, we'll go to a local coffee house. And so he took him uh, to this coffee house, and while he was there, he uh, quickly dashed off an entire minuet and trio. And he gave the beggar the manuscript, along with uh, a letter of verification, and told him to take it along to a publisher. Uh, that man, that beggar on the street, got a little bit more than the couple of pennies he bargained on that day when he asked Mozart for money. But when I heard that story, the question that sprang to mind was this. Why did that man matter to Mozart? Why would Mozart bother to invest all that time and energy into this seemingly insignificant person? Why did he care? And this is a bit how I feel when faced with the glory of God in creation. Why would the God who created all this, who is beyond all time and space, why would he bother with me, one of the 7.25 billion people existing on that planet, which, relatively speaking, is the size of a golf ball? Why would I matter to him? We, are, we matter because we are the pinnacle of God's creation. The only ones made in his image. The children whom he loves. And we have responsibility, we've been given responsibility to bring creation together to worship our creator God. And so the psalmist reflects back at the created order as he, as he explained in Genesis 1, as he declares this. You have made them, humans, a little lower than angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea, and all that swim in the paths of the sea. Humanity has been given supremacy over creation. It was God's gift, firstly, to Adam and to Eve, to bring creation into order, to make it all work. But then when sin enters the world, uh, it's ultimately Christ, the second Adam, who redeems the whole of creation and brings it back into its created order. The writers of 1 Corinthians 15 and Hebrews 2 and uh, Ephesians 1 all used the, the words of Psalm 8 to reiterate how it was only through the person of Christ that it's possible for the whole of creation to become fully subject to humanity again. Just listen to these words uh, from the writer of Hebrews 2, and we read from verse 6. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for them. 
You made them little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honour and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So the writer of the Hebrews is making it clear here that Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross has brought the whole of creation subject to God. But because we are living in the time between Christ's resurrection and his return, the writer says this, we do not see everything subject to him in the present. Christ has done it. He's conquered death. He's redeemed the whole of creation But until there is a new heaven and a new earth, things are still in a mess. And that's why when we look around us, even when we see the beauty of creation, we can also see the way that humanity has torn apart God's creation. We see humankind abusing and raping creation. Why people are starving and the forests are being devastated and destroyed and the rivers are being polluted. We see the beauty of God's creation but only reflected in the fragments of a shattered mirror. One commentator puts it like this. It's only when Christ crucified and risen stands in the centre that the pieces of the jigsaw, the picture of creation and humankind's opposition to it, will fall into place. So, why don't you and I, this week, take some time perhaps to walk outside to lift your eyes up to the mountains, to perhaps just gaze at a night sky and just look up to the stars and wonder. Maybe just take some time to walk slowly and stop and look at a flower or a leaf and just wonder at the intricacy of what God did in his creation and wonder and worship at our creator God. Worship begins when we realize that God is the creator of all.